I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Russian President Vladimir Putin continues his invasion of Ukraine. The Ukrainians have put up an incredible fight, fought much harder, I think, than a lot of people were expecting, not least of all Vladimir Putin, who has met fierce resistance, and yet he continues on his march to Kiev and throughout other Ukrainian cities, leaving a lot of us in the West asking one simple question. Can anything be done to stop it? This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is brought to you by GenuCell. Now, before you skip the ads, just take a listen to this one. Yes, I know some of you skip the ads. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women until now. Introducing the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology for under eye bags and puffiness. These are my favorite products. The Immediate Effects 2, which you put under your eyes for under eye bags and puffiness. And yes, the um, anti-wrinkle serum, the anti-aging anti-wrinkle serum. These are my two favorite products. People across the country have had amazing results from using these. Susan from New Jersey wrote, I've been using GenuCell for a couple months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love your product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. And it's not just Susan, folks. Do you think I wake up looking like this? Well, 
You can think that, but it may or may not be true. With Jenny Cell's instant effects, you will see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. I guarantee it. If you order now, you can save big on GenuCell's risk-free introductory offer. Go to GenuCell.com slash cactus, GenuCell.com slash cactus. Order now and use our special promo code cactus. Save an extra 10% off your order today. Go to GenuCell.com slash cactus. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. Senator, you are privy to much more informative conversations about what's going on in Ukraine right now than I am, or I suspect any of us are. So I think a lot of people are feeling frustration here. This has been going on for days and weeks, over a week now. There's been a buildup to this for weeks and even months, and yet Putin seems to be winning. Is there anything that we in the West can do to stop the Russian takeover of Ukraine? Well, there, there may be. I can tell you I just came from a, a two-hour all-senators classified briefing, and, and what's happening is ugly, uh, and it's probably going to get uglier uh, before it gets better. Uh, we are seeing the most significant, the most large-scale military conflict in Europe since 1945. The economic effects of this uh, are already significant on Russia. I think they're expected to get much, much worse, and, and, and so Putin... Uh, the price is higher than he anticipated, but that being said, uh, I, I think the the most likely projection for the coming days and coming weeks is a whole lot of bloodshed in Ukraine. Both of Ukrainians and 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 Putin is is targeting civilians, uh, but also of Russians as well. So you're you're seeing, as you mentioned, Senator, some pushback on Putin at home. You're seeing protests in Moscow and elsewhere. You're seeing certain Russian oligarchs actually calling for an end to the war because this is not great for their bottom line. Yeah. Maybe they have humanitarian motives too, but certainly they have financial ones. And then on the Ukrainian side, you've got Ukrainian President Zelensky now making an emergency application for Ukraine to join the European Union. And the EU president has said that she is in favor of Ukraine joining at some point, maybe not right now, there is a process. You think, well, if they don't join right now, there might not be a Ukraine to join. Uh, you've got uh, Zelensky now asking the United States to impose a no-fly zone. Uh, you had uh, nominally Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, a Republican congressman who tends to side with the uh, more liberal members of the House. Uh, he also was calling for a no-fly zone, a no-fly zone meaning that we would shoot Russian planes out of the air if they violated it. So is is any of that going to happen? Is the United States going to get involved in a full-fledged war here for Ukraine or, or not? Well, I, I certainly hope not. I think that would be dumb as hell for us to do. Uh, let, let, let me say, first of all, Zelensky is a badass. And you want to talk about rising to the occasion. You know, when the Biden administration offered to help evacuate him, which is a great way to project strength right at the outset, yeah, uh, right. Zelensky's response was was nothing short of spectacular, which is, I need ammunition. I don't need a ride. Um, I, I, I mean, that is, look, I think that has rallied uh, the men and women of Ukraine powerfully to, to, to see their leaders ready to fight. Um, I think it also underscores that, the Biden administration has been woefully slow providing Ukraine with ammunition, with weapons. Uh, they have been weak throughout. The reason this occurred, the reason the invasion happened is because of the weakness of Joe Biden. 
and the weakness in Afghanistan, the disastrous withdrawal last year from Afghanistan, but also specifically the repeated weakness of Biden with respect to Ukraine and Russia. We've talked about Nord Stream 2 at length, uh, but, but also on weaponry. Uh, Biden twice last year, in April and December of last year, halted uh, the transmission of weapons to the Ukrainians. Uh, they need Stinger missiles. They need javelins right now. They need the equipment to take out Russian tanks and Russian planes and Russian helicopters. And, and, and they're running low on all of them. We're seeing Europe stepping up. Look, I got to tell you, just even a month ago, the Biden administration was slow walking, providing lethal aid to Ukraine, and they were embarrassed into it because what happened is a group of de Democratic senators went, went over to Ukraine on a CODEL, on a congressional delegation, and they got there and they're unloading weaponry from the Brits. The United Kingdom was sending offensive weaponry and like, you know, the Americans, the Biden administration is hmm. still, still too scared of its own shadow to do that. It was only when the Brits shamed us into it that the Biden administration finally began providing some in terms of weaponry. But I think I think we ought to listen to Zelensky when he says he needs ammunition. We ought to be providing ammunition in large quality quantities. But a no fly zone. Are you friggin nuts? We should not be using the American military to shoot down Russian airplanes, to shoot down Russian tanks, to kill Russian soldiers. That is an invitation to escalation, which would be spectacularly dangerous. And, and, and I think it's unfortunate you've got American politicians calling for that. Not very many. Most have better judgment than that. But look, the Ukrainians have shown they want to defend their nation. Um, we ought to be helping ensure that they have the weapons to do so and, and they can fight to defend their own country. Now, Senator, you just said that because Joe Biden has not led on this issue and he's actually you might go further and say he's created some incentives actually for Russia to yep. invade. But because of that, Europe now is stepping up and Britain. Is, but you're, so you're talking like a Republican senator, because when I hear my Democrat friends talk, what they're saying is Joe Biden, through his magnificent leadership, has united Europe like never before. How about that? <laughs> you, you know, I think it's spectacularly funny. Um, <laughs> Ironically, there's a level of truth to it in a very perverse sense, because what yeah. Biden has done has been so spectacularly bad. It has provoked the greatest military conflict in Europe since World War II. And now all of Europe is like, oh, crap, Russia's invading. So, yes, everyone is unified now after Russia invaded. Why did Russia invade? Because of Joe Biden's weakness. You know, it reminds me of during the Obama administration where, where I've joked that that Obama may have retroactively deserved the Nobel Peace Prize. Remember, they gave him the Nobel Peace Prize like 12 minutes after he was sworn in as president yeah. for, for the great accomplishment of not being George W. Bush. That, that, that was enough to give him the prize. But in hindsight, Obama may have deserved it because he did something no one thought was possible. He unified the Israelis and the Arabs, they, they, they came together and all Obama had to do was put in place a deal that, that, that was putting us on a path to giving Iran nuclear weapons. And suddenly the Israelis and Arabs said, are you friggin' nuts? This is so lunatic. This is very much the same as what Biden has done in Europe. 
his weakness has been so provocative that Russian tanks have rolled into Ukraine. And, and all of Europe is like, oh, crap, now we're united. Well, yes, but it's only because it's gotten so spectacularly bad uh, that, that, that Europe has united against Putin. But look, listen, Michael, as you know, I have been for a year yeah. predicting exactly where we are right now. And, and it makes me sad. This is not a prediction I wanted to come true. Um, we saw this danger back in 2019. We saw it in 2014 when Putin first invaded Ukraine. We saw it in 2015 when Putin started the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to go around Ukraine so that he could invade Ukraine and still get his gas to Europe. We saw it in 2019 when I authored the sanctions legislation that passed with bipartisan supermajorities that Trump signed and that stopped Nord Stream 2. It's why Putin didn't invade Ukraine right. in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, because he needed to get his gas to market and he had to go through Ukrainian pipelines to do so. And because we had a strong president in Donald Trump and, and, and Putin didn't want to mess with him. Just weeks before the invasion, 44 Democrats voted in favor of waiving sanctions on Russia. Remember that when they start beating their chest about how tough they are on Russia. They caused this invasion by waiving those sanctions. But we filmed the last podcast last week. At the time, I mentioned in the last podcast the possibility of a deal. Here's what had happened, and this was something that had happened, but I didn't reveal the, uh, the complete, I, I didn't reveal the complete details of it on the pod, but the day before, I actually called Chris Coons, called him on his cell, and he was in Europe. He was actually in, in, in Warsaw, Poland. And, and I called Chris and said, look, Putin has just invaded Ukraine. How about now the Biden White House finally do what it should have done a year ago and impose sanctions on Nord Stream 2. And I said, mm. Chris, if the White House does this, I'll lift all my holds on the State Department nominees. And, and Chris's reaction, he thought, thought it was a very good deal. He said, look, I'll, I'll call the administration right now and relay that offer. And so I had, when we filmed the last mm. podcast, I had just made that call and made that offer. And it was pending. The day after we filmed it, the White House took the deal. They finally impose sanctions on Nord Stream 2. Now, a year late, but they imposed them, and I lifted all the holds. And so it, 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 it shows some of the leverage you can impose in the Senate to try to force actions. But when it came to the sanctions on Nord Stream 2 from the Biden White House, it was too little too late. So I, I remember as we were filming that episode, we were sort of waiting to find out if this deal was going to go through. What You know, you can't give too much because you don't want to sink the deal. It does end up working probably hours after the podcast ended up dropping. So the deal worked. The sanctions are in place. Now the question is, will that deter Putin? Did Biden need to put more behind the sanctions? Did Biden need to institute the sanctions earlier? Do, did other countries need to get, get on board? What are the sanctions actually going to do? Okay. So no, yes, 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 in response <laughs> to your questions. So will that deter Putin? At this point, no. Hmm. Uh, Putin is fully invested on the invasion. He wants to conquer Ukraine. Hmm. Um, and, and he is giving up significant Russian casualties every day to do so. At this point, his pride is at, at stake. 
Uh, that being said, does Biden need to do more? Yes. So the problem with the Nord Stream 2 sanctions, one spot Biden put in place, is he's projected so much weakness hmm. that the sanctions aren't credible to Putin. Putin is sitting there. I think Putin is, in fact, laughing at the Nord Stream 2 sanctions because I think Putin believes, well, fine, they'll sanction it now while I'm actually driving tanks on Kiev. Right. But once Putin succeeds in conquering Ukraine, which I think he believes he will, and once he succeeds in putting a puppet government in place, which I think is what Putin plans to do in Ukraine, then I think he believes, for good reason, that Biden will say, oh, well, what a shame. Now we'll lift our sanctions on Nord Stream 2 and you can turn the pipeline on. And, mm -hmm. and so the Biden White House's sanctions on Nord Stream 2 are not credible as sticking. And that's why um, I'm introducing legislation this week to make the sanctions on Nord Stream 2 permanent and to take away Biden's ability to waive them. Mm. And, you know, there's an old there's an old military uh, phrase that people people learn about, which is, you know, people have heard the phrase you shouldn't burn your bridges. Yeah. But but that actually comes from military strategy where where an invading army would come in, they would cross a, a bridge and they'd burn the bridge behind them. Hmm. So they had to win the war because retreat was no longer an option. Hmm. And, and, and I think in order for the Nord Stream 2 sanctions to be credible, hmm. we've got to burn Biden's bridges because Putin now knows Biden's so weak, he'll waive the sanctions again once the urgency is gone. Right. We'll have a lot more deterrent effect if it is clear and written in U.S. law that Nord Stream 2, the sanctions are permanent and it will never, ever, ever be allowed to be turned on because that gives Ukraine the ability. The, the pipelines still go through Ukraine. It puts Putin in a much more vulnerable position. Right. So even if the, the current conveyor of the sanctions, Joe Biden, even if he has no credibility, the sanctions themselves could. And if, if the Democrats really believe what they're saying about Ukraine and about Russia, they'll vote for your legislation. We'll see if that actually pans out. This episode of Verdict is brought to you by Thompson Cigars. Now, I don't have to tell you the gentleman on this show likes cigars. So does my husband. In fact, I just traveled to Milwaukee this past week. And when I got home, I asked my husband, well, what did you do while well, I was gone? And he tells me that he was smoking Thompson cigar. Real story, this actually happened and he had a great time. That's why you've got to check out Thompson cigar too. Whether you're working from home or just kicking back after a week of being essential, or whether you're batching it while the wife's out of town, there's no better way to relax than with a premium cigar. They've got the best prices on the biggest brands in the business from Macanudo to Monte Cristo. If you're looking to try new, rare, top-rated blends, but you don't want to splurge on boxes, well, check out Thompson's Cigar Tour, a smattering of five different blends delivered to your doorstep each month. Now, Michael and my husband have been fans of Thompson even before they became a partner on this show because no one has more selection than Thompson. These guys rarely do offers, but right now, Thompson is offering our listeners 15% off orders over $75 or 20% off orders over $99. To take advantage of these incredible savings, simply go to thompsoncigar.com and use promo code CACTUS when you're ready to check out. That website is thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, cigar.com, and use promo code CACTUS. 
you, you mentioned something that seems really crucial here, which is Putin's pride. He, he's so yep. far into this at this point, it seems impossible for him to turn around. There have been reports, one from your colleague, Marco Rubio, who says he, 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 he tweeted out today, he said, I can't go into the intelligence briefings, but uh, something is seriously wrong with Putin. And uh, he's, he's far more erratic for instance, than, than he was some years ago. I think that was the insinuation of it. You, you've got certain Russia watchers, Fiona Hill would be one example, who's saying, Putin, he's, he really means business. The man could launch World War III. We might be in it already. He would be willing to use nuclear weapons. What's your take on the madness of Putin? Um, look, I think Putin is exceptionally dangerous. Um, I think he is an autocrat. I think he is a tyrant. I think he is a dictator. Uh, I think he is surrounded by yes men. I think nobody is willing to tell him no. Um, nobody is willing to stand up to him. And anyone that tries dies. Like yeah. he kills any dissenters. That, 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 that has a way of quashing dissent. Um, and, and, and I think he has, you know, he's megalomaniacal. I mean, that's, that's a term I've used for many times. He, he, is and was a KGB thug. And we talked about in the last podcast about how he has these grand visions of Russian greatness. He yearns for the old Russian empire. He yearns for the Soviet Union. He yearns for the Russian empire of 1922. He wants to be a czar. He, he doesn't want to be a president. He wants to be a czar. And, and I, I think he views it as his destiny to restore Russian greatness and dominance. That's very, very dangerous. I think he's also a strong man in the sense that when he, when he sees resistance, his instinct is crush, kill, destroy. Um, I think in the coming days and weeks in Ukraine, we're going to see some horrific atrocities. Uh, the Russians have some weapons which, if they use them, could kill vast numbers of civilians. They have bombs that, that effectively suck the oxygen out of a place and kill everything uh, in, in that vicinity. Uh, I think there's a real risk of, of Russia using weapons that inflict horrific outcomes. Uh, you know, Putin made a big show about directing his nuclear forces to be on alert. Um, do I think that means that we're likely to see global thermonuclear war? Hopefully, no. I, I don't think we're we're on the verge of that. Uh, but I don't put it past Putin at all to use what are sometimes called tactical nukes, which are smaller nuclear weapons that can inflict devastating consequences, but less than a global nuclear fallout. Um, I pray to God he doesn't do that, but, but I don't put that beyond him at all. I think that is more likely a threat hmm. than a, a real possibility, but he is someone who, when pressed, um, when pressed is very, very dangerous, and it's why Biden's weakness is so, it jeopardizes American security. Look, you look at last year, Biden waived sanctions on Nord Stream 2. You look at last year, Biden twice halts delivery of weapons to Ukraine in an effort to appease Putin. You look at Biden, the Biden administration negotiating with Putin, saying, well, well, okay, if you promise not to invade, we're willing to consider pulling troops out of Europe. We're willing to consider pulling our missiles out of Europe. We're willing to consider pulling our anti-missile batteries out of Europe. 
Look, all of that weakness tells Putin, push harder, push harder, push harder. That encourages the bully, even now. So the Biden administration, after the invasion, they're kind of stuck. They'd been saying, oh, look, all of this weakness and and negotiation is going to stop an invasion. Well, no, it's not. Hmm. And anyone that understood Putin knew that it was not, which I've been screaming from the mountaintops uh, for months that this was the outcome of what Biden was going to do. But at this point, the sanctions they put in place, they put in place, as we sit here tonight, three tranches of sanctions. Um, They've sanctioned some of the Russian banks, but not all of them. Um, They put in place what they haven't put in place is secondary sanctions on the Russian Central Bank. What that means is the Russian Central Bank can still engage in financial transactions with, for example, China, with, for example, India. If we want to really impose financial harms, you impose secondary sanctions on the Russian Central Bank. They claim they've made Russia a pariah so that now no one in the civilized world will deal with Russia. But interestingly enough, the State Department put exceptions and said, well, except on climate, we're going to continue to have John Kerry play footsie with Russia on climate. And they said, oh, and except on Iran nuclear deal, when it comes to giving the Ayatollah nuclear weapons, we'll continue to play footsie with with Russia on that. So they put all these exceptions. But here's the funniest exception, Michael. So they have sanctions on Russian banks, but they make an exception for energy transactions, for oil and gas. Now, mind you, oil and gas is Russia's principal source of revenue. So these supposed tough sanctions exempt the thing that is funding Putin carrying out this invasion. And it is once again this almost inherent weakness Hmm. in Biden and Harris and Schumer and Pelosi and and Putin can smell that weakness, and unfortunately, it only encourages it. So wh- why don't we put the sanctions on the energy industry? Is it is it one because Biden doesn't really care if if Russia conquers Ukraine, and he knows that what he is doing right now doesn't have any teeth? So never mind. Or is it two because <laughs> because we need the oil and Europe needs the oil? I, look, it's it's some of both. Um, on, on one level, I think the Biden administration has all but given up hope hmm. that the Russian invasion will stop. They believe this is a done deal. It may be hmm. a few weeks, maybe even a few months if, if the, the Ukrainians surprise. But they believe eventually Russia will conquer Ukraine. And then what they're counting on is an insurgency that plays out over years. Uh, that, 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 that if Russia conquers Ukraine, that, that the Ukrainians engage in guerrilla warfare. And that may play out. Look, Russia invaded Afghanistan and for years faced guerrilla warfare in Afghanistan. That's a possibility. Um, I, I think that's about all the Biden administration is holding on hope for. Um, th- they really don't see any vision for preventing Russia from conquering Ukraine any more than they saw a vision for stopping the invasion in the first place, that they believe they don't understand strength. Um, I told you about the previous briefing where one Democratic senator asked, why didn't Putin invade in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020? And several of us just started laughing out loud. I mean, it's a question that answers itself. Mm -hmm. But I will say also, on the European dependence on Russian oil, listen, 
Biden has gone a long way to creating that dependence. When Biden in his first week shuts down the Keystone Pipeline in America, when he shuts down new leases on federal lands, when he shuts down new offshore leases, all of that reduces America's ability to export energy, which makes our allies more dependent on our enemies. Today's episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is brought to you by IPVanish. Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Without added security, you might as well give all your private data away to hackers, advertisers, your internet service provider, and who knows who else. IPVanish helps you securely and privately browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. This means that your private messages, passwords, emails, browsing history, and other information will be completely protected from falling into the wrong hands. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. Just for Verdict listeners, IPVanish is offering an insane 70% off their annual plan. That's like getting nine months for free. You have to go directly to IPVanish.com cactus to get this 70% off discount. IPVanish is super easy to use. Just tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. You can use IPVanish on your computers, tablets, and phones. Whether you're at home or in public, don't go online without using IPVanish. Don't forget, Verdict listeners get 70% off the IPVanish annual plan. Just go to IPVanish.com cactus to claim your discount and secure your online life. That's IPVanish.com cactus. Senator, there has been a little bit of a schizophrenia maybe on the American right when it comes to the person of Vladimir Putin. Uh, there, have, there have been some right-wingers who seem to be, if not admiring of Vladimir Putin, they are so critical of, of our own leaders in the West that they look at things that Putin does and they, they think, uh, well, maybe we should, we should do that as well. There was, there was uh, the head of MI6, the British spy agency, he tweeted out something to the effect of, you know, what distinguishes us from Vladimir Putin is uh, LGBT rights. And that's why we need to celebrate LGBT rights. And, and I think a lot of people looked at that and said, well, if, if transgenderism in the classroom is all that separates us from, from Putin, then pass the vodka comrade. I mean, there was a real, but you look at Putin, the guy's obviously a killer. He's a thug. He leads the the country that we were at war with for half of the 20th century. Uh, what, what is our understanding of Putin and why, why do some people find him, if not, if not attractive, why, why is there a kind of interest on the right in Putin? Yeah, look, I, I think that MI6 tweet was really unfortunate and, and I, I love the Brits. I'm a diehard Anglophile, but that, that, that made one want to weep. Yeah. Uh, at, at, at how how the empire has fallen. Um, look, th- there is, I think, a small fringe group on the right uh, that finds themselves enamored with strongman and, and Putin in particular. Um, I think it's a very small group. Any conservative, as far as I'm concerned, any conservative, any Republican, any American, any patriot, the view on Putin, my view on Putin is he's a dictator, he's a thug, he's a murderer, he's an evil man, he is our enemy, he hates us, and he wants to kill us. And, and he, so, so just, just so we have no ambiguity. Um, I will say, I think the press desperately wants to amplify this small little fringe group on the right. Um, 
because a they love any dissension on the right. So they right. The, the, they you know we're in this weird Alice in Wonderland where where for sixty years conservatives stood up to the Soviet Union <laughs> and liberals defended, celebrated, heralded the Soviet Union for more than sixty years. For more, almost a century, probably. It, it was forever and ever. Look, Bernie Sanders vac- honeymooned in the damn Soviet <laughs> Union. Right, right. Um, you know, going back to, you know, the Sandinistas. I mean, there, there's not a communist revolution on earth that Democrats haven't defended. Yeah. When Trump became president, there was this fictional narrative that Democrats and the corrupt corporate media invented of Russia, Russia, Russia. And it was very weird for four years, Democrats suddenly discovered Russia was bad. Yeah. And it's the most bizarre, like, what's weird, so some of the old Democrats, the ones who have been around the Senate a long time, they actually know that these are sort of fake talking points that, 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 that they were using for convenience to attack Trump, but they don't really believe it. Some of the newer Democrats didn't quite get the joke and they suddenly, oh, oh, this is what we believe, Russia bad. And then suddenly when Biden is surrendering to Russia, they're like, they don't know what to say. They just kind of stammer voicelessly because they haven't they haven't figured out that for four years when Democrats were saying Russia bad, they were posturing. They were lying. Look, Russia bad. I will say it unequivocally. But you know what? I said it during Jimmy Carter. I said it during Ronald Reagan. I said it during Bush and Clinton and 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 Bush and Obama and Trump and Biden. So. Since I was five, I've been saying Russia bad. That's what happens when you're raised in a Cuban household. We, <laughs> we, we tend to have fairly stark views of communism that continue forever. Um, but I will say you're, there is this fringe view on the right that that celebrates Putin, and it does so, I guess, because they think he has the right enemies, that 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 there right. are some leftists who who he is dismissive of. And it's sort of like, all right, if he's dismissive of leftists and I don't like leftists, therefore, he's my guy. And it's right. like, no, he wants to kill you, too. So so right. don't be confused about this. No, I think that's a really important point, Senator, because, you you know, a lot of American conservatives, they look at the deep state. You know, they look at the elected government now in America. They look at the global leaders or the, the at least the Western leaders and they say, well, hmm, all those guys hate my guts and the president says that I'm a Nazi and half the country's full of Nazis and we really ought to just shut up and go away and have no role in our government. We're all terrorist insurrectionists. And uh, so I don't like them. And uh, Putin doesn't like them either. But but you've you've made an important observation, which is Putin hates us, too. <laughs> Putin does not uh, particularly favor one American side over the other. He doesn't like America. He doesn't like the West. He's aggressing on the West. It, it is true that Vladimir Putin funds the construction of cathedrals while America funds uh, Drag Queen Story Hour in libraries. But by any measure, by any measure, Ukraine is a more Christian country and at least equally conservative as Russia. So even if even if American conservatives are trying to export or superimpose domestic political values on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I don't think it holds up, and I think it's a, it's a really important insight you're making here. Just because a man is the enemy of my of my enemy or my opponent does not make him my friend. Yeah, and, and, and it's, uh, 
as I said, I think the corporate media vastly elevates these few handful of fringe uh, folks on the right because they love telling the narrative. Right. Um, and, and look, you, you even look at, for example, the press went crazy about Trump's comments about Putin, that his strategy of, of framing himself as, as a peacekeeper uh, was savvy. Listen, no, nobody's ever said Putin was stupid. Right. Let, let, let's be clear. His failing is not lack of intelligence. Right. His failing is that he's an evil murderer trying to conquer the world. Um, it would be better if he were stupid. I, I, I wish Putin were stupider. Yeah. He, 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 he might be less of a threat than then, but, but the press obsessively holds on to. So, you know, you look at the Sunday shows, the Sunday shows, all they want to question any Republican is, well, isn't it terrible that Trump used the word savvy to describe what, what Putin is doing? You don't see any of the press questioning Democrats. Well, why did Biden surrender to Putin over and over again? Why did 44 Democrats vote just weeks ago yeah. not to sanction Russia because right. the press are propagandists. One of the big issues here is we need foreign energy. We need foreign oil. We need foreign gas. We were on a pathway back to energy independence in recent years. And then unfortunately, this president doesn't seem all that interested in it. So what does the future look like for American energy? The, the White House says we need American energy. We have to be less reliant on foreign oil. But we're not going to drill here. We're not going to we're not going to build our pipelines. We're not going to build nuclear facilities. So wh what is the White House saying they're going to do? Look, they, they don't have any reasonable plan. They are, they are driven by zealotry and extremism. When it comes to the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal, I, last week I had a lunch with a number of, of uh, CEOs of, of energy companies in, in Houston. And, and one of the things I was trying to explain to them is I said, look, you guys are trying to argue based on reason, uh, based on logic, based on facts. You can't reason with these people. They're not interested in reason or logic or facts. The radical left, the Green New Deal proponents, the people driving the Biden administration's energy policy, they hate oil and gas. They want to destroy all U.S. production. They want to bankrupt every U.S. oil and gas company. And they don't care about the consequences. They don't have, when you ask them, how are you going to drive to work? How, what, how are you going to power jet airplanes? They don't have an answer. It's not yeah. like you're going to put a windmill in the front of an airplane. They, they, they have no answer. It, it, it is visceral. It's emotional. And part of the problem is, for too many on the left, faith is no longer part of their life. They, they, they are, are virulent atheists. And, and so this, this, this angry environmentalism has replaced faith hmm. in their lives. Right. It is their new faith. Look, mankind, all of us yearn for doing something bigger than ourselves, serving a purpose that is higher than just the momentary existence of waking up and eating and, and, and going through the day and going back to sleep. We want a, a transcendent purpose. And, hmm. and for too many on the left, this visceral emotional environmentalism has hmm. replaced religion. Hmm. And in that context, 
Oil and gas producers are evildoers. They are Satan. They must be vanquished. And one mustn't concern oneself with the pesky details of how it works and who suffers and who pays the price. This is the most convincing take I've actually heard on this because I've been trying to wrap my head around what the end goal is here for Democrats. Is it that they, well, I know they want alternative energies, but surely they know that windmills and, you know, uh, unicorn tiers are not going to power the United States. So what are they trying to do? Are they trying to work on some other international energy scheme? But what you're saying here is actually ties in with a conversation we're having about Putin, which is on this issue, they're just not behaving like rational actors. There is, and even if the elected politicians are on the Democrat side, they are beholden to a base that has become fanatical in its environmentalism. And so why won't they pursue nuclear? Well, because that's bad. Why won't they produce oil at home or encourage the production of oil at home? Well, because that's bad. They'll buy it overseas. So what? Yeah, okay, at least we don't need to think about it. There's just not a, there's not a through line of reason. Michael, what was the end goal of burning witches at the stake? To get rid of all those pesky witches, I thought. <laughs> that is their end goal. Yeah. That is how they view it. You know, a couple of years ago, I was doing this thing called called Tribfest, which is it, it's done in, in Austin at the University of Texas at Austin. And I was being interviewed by Chris Hayes, you know, the, the leftist host on MSNBC. <laughs> and it was before the last election. And I asked him, I said, hey, I, I kind of turned the tables back and was asking him a question, which he didn't like. I said, Chris, so if Biden wins, should the Biden administration ban fracking? And it was interesting. Hayes start, starts backtracking. He's like, because uh, uh, he didn't want to commit to that before the election because <laughs> he knew that was unpopular. And he's like, well, well, maybe over time in a phased outcome over five years, maybe. And I said, look, projections are if you ban fracking, it would destroy 1.4 million jobs in this country. And suddenly the students at UT began applauding. Huh. Wow. And we're in this big auditorium and they begin applauding. And I say, look, it's very easy for all of you guys sitting there sipping your Starbucks lattes. Yeah. By the way, at a university paid for by oil and gas, your professors <laughs> are paid for by oil and gas. Right. All of the buildings were built by oil and gas. The state was built by oil and gas. For, for you to sit there applauding, destroying the jobs right now, there's an Hispanic guy driving to work in the oil field in South Texas in his pickup truck, and he's providing for his kids, and you're applauding, yes, yes, take away that dirty man's job. Right. You want to know why the American people are fed up with the contemptuous left? It's you sitting there in plush comfort saying, much better that he has no job. Right. The, that's the, the elitist contempt the left has right now. That's the, the Betoization of all sorts of. Hell, yes, we're going to take your job. Hell, yes, we're going to take your energy and your gas and your oil and your heating. Of course, does it doesn't play very well in Peoria. I've got to ask you switching gears a little bit before we go. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. The State of the Union is tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, probably Joe Biden is not going to talk very much about energy. It's not doesn't seem to be a big winner for him. Uh, do you have any predictions for the State of the Union? I'm going to predict what it's not going to be. It's not going to be honest. If Joe Biden were honest, he would stand up and say, the State of the Union, thanks to the Biden administration's policies, is weaker in every respect than it was a year ago. If Joe Biden were honest, he would say, 
We spent trillions of dollars. We racked up trillions in debt, and that has produced galloping inflation that is hurting Americans across the country. If Joe Biden were honest, he would say we refused to enforce the law, and, and the result was the worst illegal immigration in 61 years as 2 million people entered this country. As a result of our policies, we saw more crime. We saw more children being physically and sexually assaulted. We saw more disease, and we saw more poverty. If he was being honest, he would say as a result of our illegal and unconstitutional vaccine mandates, we've seen doctors fired, we've seen nurses fired, we've seen police officers and firefighters fired. I've been the one firing soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines. We've seen truck drivers fired. As a result, if he were being honest, of my giving in to the radical socialist left, We've seen police officers and police forces across the country undermine. We've seen crime rates skyrocket, murder rates skyrocket, carjacking rates skyrocket. And all of that is just domestic. If you look abroad, every region of the world as a result of the Biden administration's weakness, every region's gotten worse. We abandon Afghanistan to the Taliban. We abandon Ukraine to Russia. We are in the process of abandoning Taiwan to China, and we're trying to give the Ayatollah in Iran, a nuclear weapon. If he were being honest, he would say, it was a mistake when I gave in to the radical left. When I was running for president in 2020, I campaigned as a moderate, as a centrist. And then I gave control of the agenda to Bernie Sanders, to AOC, to Elizabeth Warren. And that was a mistake. I apologize. And I'm going to go back to doing what I told the American people I would do in the election. The chances that he does that, I think, are 0.0%. But that would be an honest state of the union. If Joe Biden were on a senator, if my aunt had cojones, she would be my uncle. So I don't think we're going to look forward to that speech. And in today's world, Michael, she can be both. (laughs) She might be. She might be. (laughs) On that note, Senator, we must bring in our friend Liz Wheeler. Liz What are you going to be talking about on the Verdict Plus community series, The Cloakroom? And and actually, before Liz starts, can I I ask you something, Liz? Liz, can I ask, just for the record, you are neither Michael's aunt nor (laughs) uncle. Is that right? That is correct. And nor can I change my gender. Michael, the question that you asked me, what are we going to talk about on The Cloakroom? It's a little hard to know what to say following a following a comment and interaction like that it's a it's like following you're asking me essentially to follow to follow the headliner here um senator we have a great conversation for the cloakroom over on verdict plus as you know anybody who wants to join us can join us on verdict with tedcruz.com slash plus you can use a promo code cloakroom to get one month free on an annual subscription today we're going to be talking about two interesting controversies the first being pro golfer phil mickelson was flirting with the idea of backing an alternative, um, an alternative PGA tour, an alternative to the PGA tour with the Saudis. And this has caused quite the kerfuffle. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about former Attorney General Bill Barr. He's writing a book called One Damn Thing After the Other. And is this another John Bolton book where the Attorney General might trash Trump? It appears that it might be so. So we're going to discuss both both of those things. Um, as I said, join us on verdict with tedcruz.com slash plus. 
Promo code CLOAKROOM for one month free on your annual subscription. It's going to be a good conversation. Well, I can't wait to hear the conversation. I can't wait to read the former attorney general's book because if it does turn out to be a bad book, we we totally, we never had him on this show. It was never a very popular episode of Verdict. Do not pay no attention to that. I look forward to it, Liz. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security Pack, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security Pack plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.